Welcome to Shelve Under Podcast, the Toronto Public Library podcast for readers, writers, and everyone practicing physical distancing. That's right, today we're bringing you a special mini-sode to give some recommendations for library resources you can access from home while library branches are closed due to the COVID-19 virus pandemic. My name is Christina, and today I'll be joined by my colleague Mike to talk about a couple of books available online from the library. We realize this is a difficult time and hope that our recommendations can help those seeking a distraction. Our thoughts are with everyone in the city, especially those keeping essential services running. Mike, how's it going? Hey, Christina. Uh, I'm doing okay. I had some some pancakes for breakfast this morning, so that was nice to be able to. It's unusual on a weekday to get time to make some pancakes and and enjoy them. So, so I did that this morning. So, you know, trying to trying to do the positive things that I can while while being at home. How's your day going so far? So far, so good. I had my coffee, which always helps. Um, I don't know, it, like you were saying, it, it's nice to have a little bit more time in the morning and not like run out the door and go to work. I can take my time making coffee because usually yeah. I just have instant, which I don't mind usually. But yeah, I'm definitely the same way. I'm I'm just trying to view trying to view things as as all the little benefits that come out of things. I I try to look at things as the the glass half full, uh, sort of optimistic way most of the time. Uh, so I'm definitely with you, and uh, yeah, it's nice to be able to. To be able to make my French press in the morning and have some like freshly ground coffee because uh, I'm a hipster like that. <laughs> Which is refreshing <laughs> to just yeah, take our yeah. time with things. Yeah, it's. I was kind of wondering if, if if life would be a little slower paced once things get back to normal. Um, like I, I'm kind of enjoying the slow pace of everything in, in some ways and not having to, to rush around and do a bunch of errands and always be pressed for time. Mm, it kind of gives you a, a different perspective. Oh, totally. Um, I find that um, I've been trying to uh, go on walks a little bit more. Um, well, I usually do do a lot of walking, but I guess this is more, I don't know, my daily exercise, I guess, even though I try and stay home if I can. <laughs> Yeah, I've definitely been doing a lot, a lot of walks, um, trying to, trying to avoid the peak times. So when possible, I go out really early in the day or later in the evening when it's quiet, and sort of stick to the side streets where I know I can walk in the middle of the road if I need to be distanced from other people. Um, and I've been thinking a lot of actually of uh, probably the last time we talked on the podcast, which is when uh, we did our walking episode, and you talked to Sean McCullough, mm-hmm. and. And because now I'm doing a whole lot more walking where there's not really a purpose to it other than just to get outside. So I'm spending a lot more time looking around at my surroundings. And especially as I do sort of the same walks over and over again, or, or with slight little variations to them, I'm noticing a lot, a lot of things that I normally wouldn't have noticed. Um, like these small little window panes where someone has like this little stained glass window in their house and I walked by all the time and never noticed it till now. Um, I was walking uh, uh, one of my usual routes the, the other day, 
and someone had like a two to three foot little Ewok statue on on their front porch. And and I sort of said to my wife, I was like, has that always been there or is that new? And it's it's that kind of stuff where um yeah, I've been I've been doing a whole lot more walking and thinking back to to the idea of how things how things change depending on 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 what we're observing and, and how how our walks can change as we do them over and over and over again. Because I know um, when we did that episode, it was, you, your walking was more of going from point A to point B, whereas now it's kind of not, I don't want to say aimlessly, but I don't know, more reflective, I guess, or? I'd say it's, I, I feel it's pretty aimless right now. <laughs> but yeah, it used to just be, you know, like I'd, I'd walk to the subway in the morning and, and sort of start my day with a, a bit of activity. And now it's just sort of like, okay, well, like, where haven't I been to already this week that I can walk to near me? You know, it's sort of, I leave and it's like, okay, is it going north, south, east, or west today? <laughs> um, and going on going on some streets near me that I've never been on before. Oh, that's um, so nice. Yeah. Actually, um, what you're talking about is very closely to my book recommendation. <laughs> um, I am going to re-mention... Um, Sean McCall of Stroll, um, which he wrote actually back or was published in 2010. So it's been 10 years on since he that's been out. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's kind of a nice book to read now in the sense that it just says how you're going on for all these walks exploring the city. This book is kind of a starting point to explore the city by walking. And I recommend people doing that if they can at a you know at a safe distance um from other people um but it's also a nice book to read because you can read at home and it just takes you through 32 walks around the city and he writes in a way that you're like on this walk with him so you can imagine being on these streets as well <laughs> if that makes sense yeah no that's great and it looks like it's pretty geographically spread throughout the city as well Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of nice because because he wrote this 10 years ago, it's, it's almost like, a, I want to say like a Google Street View in literature format, <laughs> because I was rereading some and I, I was thinking like, oh, that doesn't exist anymore, or this was replaced by something else or that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, so it's a bit of a historical document now as well. It is. <laughs> so I thought I'd read just kind of the intro, I guess, how he opens the book. When I was growing up in Windsor, Toronto seemed to be a spaceport city made of the Eaton Center, Ontario Place, and the CN Tower. It had subways that ran like, like an electric bloodstream underneath the city, promising total freedom and complete mobility. The city I saw on occasional visits was all a clockwork orange-style modernism, yet through the gaps I'd catch glimpses of row houses, ravines, and streets like Dundas or Davenport that weren't space-age at all. These places seemed like a kind of remixed British colonial landscape, and I didn't know how they fit with the Toronto I thought I knew. The city was asking to be explored. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of a good time to explore the city as well, either at home or um, if you can, actually walking around. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And even if, even if you don't want to go outside, of course, you could just go on Google Street View and 
and do the walks that way the comfort of your own home while you're reading the book too i guess exactly and he did write an article in the star a few weeks ago i think about how to explore the city from home as well so if you want to read something a little bit more recent you can do that too that's great awesome what's your book recommendation uh so the book i have to recommend is called the art of fielding by chad harbach uh, so I think I'm the resident sports fan on the podcast of, of our hosts. And so uh, right now I am really missing the start of baseball season, which is supposed to start at the end of March and of course has now been delayed. So I've been thinking uh, a lot about actually rereading this one because uh, it is a baseball novel um, and one that I often recommend if people are looking for some, some very literary sports fiction. So this takes place at a small Wisconsin college called Westish, and um, it's a, so it's a bit of a campus novel meets sports novel. Uh, it is largely centered on Henry Scrimshander, who is a sort of undersized shortstop on his um, small college team, and um, through his college career um, has developed a reputation as a defensive star and has a streak of errorless games, um, which, um, not really a spoiler, but uh, does come to an end in a dramatic fashion. And he gets the yips, which is basically where someone's unable to perform their, you know, typical sports thing that they do. So in this case, he's no longer able to to throw the ball pretty much to, like, to first base or to anywhere. Um, he sort of has this mental roadblock that, that comes up um, while he's playing. And so it's largely about Henry. It's also about a teammate of his, um, Schwartz, who is a football and baseball star at the school. Um, but he's coming to the end of his collegiate career and knows that, you know, there's really no life in sports beyond this for him. Um, and his body's starting to physically deteriorate. Uh, there's Owen, who is also on the baseball team and is Henry's gay roommate. There's the dean of the school, um, who long time ago um, wrote a very well-known paper on Moby Dick. And so there's a lot of Melville references and allusions throughout the book. Um, and also his, uh, his daughter, who has sort of moved back uh, to live with her dad after a failed marriage. So it's all about how these five characters sort of intertwine themselves around with ideas of, of you know, friendship and and how we sort of overcome some of our mental roadblocks and deal with defeat and, and topics like that. Uh, so it's very much a, uh, a character novel. It's not about, you know, is this team going to win the big game and win the championship? Uh, that's not really the crux of this one um, for people that, you know, may think that's what you get in a lot of sports books. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm just going to read a section from it now. Uh, just be advised that there is... One small swear word in here, so if you are listening to this and have kids around that you may not want to hear that, uh, just hit the, the skip ahead button a couple of times um, and you'll miss that. These days, when Henry walked onto the diamond, those eyes were saying the same thing, but with a rising undercurrent of terror. You'll never know what this is like. Baseball, in its quiet way, was an extravagantly harrowing game. Football, basketball, hockey, lacrosse, these were melee sports. You could make yourself useful by hustling and scrapping more than the other guy. 
You could redeem yourself through sheer desire. But baseball was different. Schwartz thought of it as Homeric. Fielder versus ball. You couldn't storm around, snorting and slapping people the way Schwartz did while playing football. You stood and waited and tried to still your mind. When your moment came, you had to be ready. Because if you fucked up, everyone would know whose fault it was. One other sport not only kept a stat as cruel as the air, but posted it on the scoreboard for everyone to see. So that just gives a sense of, of the writing. Like I said, this is a very, very literary novel um, relating baseball to, you know, a lot of the the things that we face sort of in our in our everyday life mm-hmm. um, and is is a nice long piece of fiction as well. Um, so if you're looking to really get enveloped in a, in a long book right now, that's one I would recommend. Sounds really interesting. I usually don't read um, sport novels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of the one I, I would recommend to people if um, you don't have to be a, a sports fan, I think, to enjoy this one. There's there's a lot for, for everyone in this. Oh, nice. What's your next recommendation? So I thought I'd preface this with this article I had read from author Carrie Claire, and she had written this blog post about it's called How Do We Read When Words Fail Us? And how, so she was describing the moment. I think um, Wendy and uh, Jason had mentioned this in the previous episode that they haven't, they've been so distracted and they, or Wendy mainly, um, she hasn't been able to read. And she, Carrie kind of talks about that, how she couldn't finish a book, but she went back to a book that she had read previously and that gave her quite comfort and, or that was very comforting and, you know, how you just recommended this book that you've read and you want to read it again. So it's this idea of going back to something familiar, which is kind of nice. Um, so I thought, what book would I reread in this time? <laughs> and I looked at my shelf and I found uh, The Truth About Stories, A Native Narrative by Thomas King. And I've reread this maybe two times or sorry, I've read this twice already, and I think I would love to reread this now because it was based on um, CBC's Massey Lectures. They are a series of lectures that kind of explore themes of identity and how we can be better as humans kind of thing. So the truth about stories, a native narrative is basically a... how stories shape our identity and how we understand the world. But Thomas King also talks about the indigenous identity and experience and their relationship to North America. Um, And it's how stories have shaped our perspectives of indigenous people. I want to talk about this book only because I want people to be inspired about what stories we've heard or what stories we're telling or what stories are we normally listening to and how can we change this narrative and even in this pandemic like what kind of world were we living in before this happened and when we come out of this what kind of worlds we want and what kind of worlds we want to fight for so in reading this you you kind of think what how can we change our story and how can we change our narrative so we live in a better world this is what I get out of the book and I would like people to read this or even listen to the lectures themselves. We do have an audio copy, but it's not an e-book or e-audio, unfortunately, but you can go to the CBC Massey Lectures website and you can listen to it there. 
but I guess I just want people to be inspired or just have some sort of hope. As you said at the beginning, you want to be a little optimistic. So I'm hoping people, we all come out of this wanting a better world and wanting, you know, a more just world or fair world. <laughs> Sorry, that was a long rant. <laughs> no, I think it's very well said. And, and all I can do is agree. Yeah. Um, that sounds uh, incredibly useful and helpful, helpful for people right now. Mm -hmm. um, so that is a, that's great. Thanks, Christina. No problem. And what's yours? So the next one I have is not actually, I'm not going to recommend a specific book, uh, but I'm just going to recommend the cooking cookbook section on the Overdrive website, um, because these are books that we, you know, often don't have many copies of cookbooks. We may have, you know, three or four. And I know that everyone right now has, you know, all, we all have different things in our pantry and we're not necessarily going to be going out to buy one specific ingredient if we're missing something. Um, so I don't want to recommend a specific cookbook um, and require people to make extra grocery store trips um, as we're trying to trying to do those as few as possible. Uh, but I just want to make people aware that if you are finding yourself with some time to do some cooking right now, or maybe you've got some some dried beans that you're not sure what to do with, um, then check out our cookbook section. Um, so I don't have a specific recommendation other than say, you know, enjoy some cooking, enjoy some baking. If you're at home with kids and thinking about what to do with them while they're at home and you're worried about homeschooling, um, teach, you know, go teach them some cooking, teach them how to make something. Um, to me, that sounds like a, a great way to do some homeschooling right now. Um, as someone who doesn't have kids, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Just throwing, yeah, that, think, throwing that out there. I think teaching cooking is so important. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and... It's a life going, skill. <laughs> exactly. And going off of what Wendy recommended last time about the New York Times website that you can get access to with the library, I use their cooking section a lot. I find the recipe section is great. Um, and you can, once you have your account to get access to the library, you can save recipes. Um, I really want to recommend the kitchen sink cookie recipe that's in there. Um, kitchen sink or compost cookies um, have a mix of sweet and savory ingredients and the idea is really just to use up what's in your pantry. I also recommend a bit of um, coffee grounds in the cookies as well. Not ones you've used to make coffee already but just some like just some fine grounds like uh, espresso or drip grinds. Put about a teaspoon of that it just adds a little nice little nice background note to your cookies as well. We should do a show about cooking with Mike. <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh i'd say we might have time I'll have to get some sort of some video set up in here <laughs> yeah so those are our recommendations for today mm -hmm. both um all comforting reads i think which is nice yeah i think we're i think we're switching to the the comfort stage hopefully yes that, that's how that's how i'm feeling lately awesome well i hope you enjoy the rest of your day you too christina stay safe you too Christina Wong and Mike Warner work for the library. Music by Highs. Shelve Under Podcast is a Toronto Public Library production. It is produced by Wendy Banks, Jason Bazadian, Ted Belke, Michael Warner, and Christina Wong. 
with production assistance by George Paniyotu. 